Hello, goblins and ghouls, and welcome to my Haunted Life podcast. I'm your host, Angela Hartshorn, and on this episode, I'm back! And I'm starting a new series of stories that are great to listen to around the campfire, starting with a heavy hitter location, the famous ghost of the Pine Barrens in New Jersey. And of course, you can't talk about the Pine Barrens without talking about one very location-specific cryptid. Of course, the infamous Jersey Devil. my spooky babes oh my god have i missed you how are you i hope you are feeling amazing because you are amazing i don't know about y'all but this summer has been a weird one for me so i'm definitely looking forward to fall um but yeah babes i have missed doing the podcast so much it feels very very strange not doing it every week but it it's weird it's also weird but yeah it's it and then, and then I miss you guys uh I got to run into a lot of you at midsummer screen which was really freaking cool um I was surprised by that we have our friends from homespun haints coming I'm gonna be on their podcast so that's pretty cool making friends podcast friends anyways I missed y'all so much. It's not even funny. Also, get this. Happy third birthday to the podcast. I can't believe it's been three years. Uh, The very first episode came out July 30th, 2020. And that's just so insane to me. My little COVID project to give me an excuse to get, you know outside my brain with the world ending and I'm still going and there's almost a hundred episodes there's maybe more I should really like fix the numbers and make sure about that because that seems like a big milestone too but uh you know just another we'll figure it out we'll figure it we'll get there um let me see. Where are my notes? There are my notes. When this episode comes out, I will be in full swing for the fall. And it's already been a sane one. Insane one. I can't even talk. Uh, I just got back from Midsummer Screams in Long Beach, California. Like I said, I got to meet some of you. That was really cool. The big thing... Me and my buddy Rain, who's been on the podcast a few times now, got to do was finally, finally stay on the Queen Mary. I'm not sure why I did a big long pause. If you follow any of the podcast stuff, you know. You know where I've been. So, that was freaking amazing. I did not expect to get anything. And we haven't done a full evidence review. Just just very preliminary. Going through some pictures. 
And, uh... Yeah, there's some, uh... We got some stuff! <laughs> Which is really freaking cool! Oh my freaking god! So, totally worth it. Uh, expect an updated ghost hunting episode of the Queen Mary later this fall. I believe it's scheduled for the October month. Um, because I want to do more of the really creepy ghost hunting stuff then, so... I'm excited to go through the rest of the evidence. It's going to be awesome. Now, that being said, I still do not have my land legs back. Like, a lot of our Monday, we went out on a whale watching tour. So we were on a boat on the ocean, and then we stayed on the Queen Mary. A ship. It's abhorrent. Uh, on the ocean. And, uh... Then we flew home, and I still feel wobbly. I, I, yeah, it, I, it's weird. You guys, it's weird. Water is weird. Anyways, I'll be getting ready to go to Philadelphia and Salt Lake City very soon. So, if you have any suggestions for haunted places, let me know as soon as possible. I have a couple. Uh, there's already plans to go to Eastern State Penitentiary. I haven't bought my tickets yet, but that should be a later today thing. Um, but yeah, just let me know. I have most of Sunday to, like, mess around. Um, sorry, big, big plane just flew over. Um, and then I didn't get it done before I left but I have all the ingredients sitting in my shop right now I am working on a hand blended campfire tea to go along with this month's episodes I'm very excited about it I've been wanting to do this forever it's more inspired so I'm really excited and so this way we can drink the same tea together and pretend we're all curled up around a campfire listening to ghost stories together. I thought it was fun. I'm very excited. I'm actually working on some of the blend right now and I'm sipping on it. But, you know, it's a trial. I don't think it's there just yet, but soon. Very soon. Anyways, on this week's episode... We are talking about the Pine Barrens in New Jersey. There is one very famous inhabitant of the Pine Barrens, which I mentioned earlier at the beginning of the episode. But I was really freaking surprised how many other ghost stories are littered about. Like, there's quite a bit, and I, I really... I was, like, really flabbergasted by how much there really was. It, it's really cool. And, of course, you know, you know, the New Jersey Devil has sightings still reported today. So we have a lot to cover. And the really cool thing, a lot of these stories are really well documented. Like, I found the Jersey Devil on Ancestry.com, for fuck's sake. Almost all the white eyewitness stories 
come from the Weird New Jersey website. And I'm sharing a lot of those here today. I found so much that this became a pretty long episode. But it's all good. I feel like it's a good kickoff to the to the month and to the season, really. So, you know. Let's get into it, shall we? Grab yourself a cup of tea. Make sure the doors are locked and the sage is close by. I have a story to tell you. This has haunted me since it happened in 1972. I was a senior at what was then Glassboro State College. I had heard about the Jersey Devil when I came to South Jersey, but being from North Jersey, a different world, I thought I was far too sophisticated to believe in such humbuggery. One winter night, I was driving to Glassboro from Blackwood on Green Tree Road. At the same time, the road was flanked by orchards and farms. There were few houses and there was hardly any development. I was completely sober and awake when I caught a glimpse of something in my rear view mirror. Curious as to what it could have been, I slowed down to take a gander. It was dark out, but moonlit enough that I had no trouble at all discerning the upright figure of a creature crossing the road from one side to the other, roughly 25 feet behind my car. The figure stood taller than a man by far and had thick haunches similar to a goat's, supporting its nearly human-looking torso with huge woolly head. It moved heavily and didn't seem at all disturbed by my being there. I didn't linger long enough to see much more. I hit the gas and flew out to the mansion park apartments in the borough. So petrified was I that I slept the rest of the night in the car, unwilling to get out into the same darkness that had introduced me to the Jersey Devil. Never again from that day have I ridden on Green Tea Tree Road, day or night, that I haven't gotten the heebie-jeebies just thinking about that one winter night so long ago. Mary Ritzer Christensen from the Weird New Jersey website. The Pine Barrens is a 1.1 million acre area of southern New Jersey. I always thought that the Pine Barrens was a big forest. Like one really big forest. Something like, you know, for my Colorado people, like Pike National Forest. But no, apparently it's a freaking region of New Jersey, more, it's a better description, I should say, is a region. And it's huge, encompassing several cities, counties, and four state forests. 
So there you go. I had no idea. The Pine Barrens have been the site of numerous small towns scattered among the trees, and some of those have been abandoned. You can stumble across these random ghost towns and abandoned mills still to this day. It, which is like really cool, some of these pictures, and it's like, oh, that doesn't help with the creep factor. Yeah. Anyways, it, uh, it's not, where am I? If that's not ominous enough, the environment is not exactly inviting. It's heavily forested, covered with sandy, acidic, nutrient-poor soil, so the pine trees only grow to, like, half the size they should be, and they always look sickly, giving the area a very ominous look. Like, weird, gnarled trees that you would see in a fairy tale. These are the rare pygmy pitch pines. And apparently, they're slightly sadistic because they depend on frequent forest fires to renew large areas each year. So, like, they need part of them to burn away so they can grow more because they can't really do much. So, they're just these weird, gnarly pine trees. And then... There's also sugar sand, as the locals call it, because the soil is, like, extra fine. And apparently they use it in, like, baseball something-somethings. I don't know if I made a note of that later in the podcast, but somewhere in there. But it's also apparently really good for quicksand. So, it, it's not a nice area. Even in these extra difficult conditions, yeah, nature always finds a way. And it turns out the pine barrens are well suited for cranberry bogs, orchard, and carnivorous plants. Like, I'm going to say honeydews, and I know that's not the right word now, but it's what I call my carnivorous plant. Um, I thought carnivorous plants were more of a tropical thing, so I was really, really excited and now I can't remember the proper name. One second. So, I quite literally just got off the phone with Andrew from Cronk Art and Curiosities because I had to ask him what my carnivorous plant is. And it is a butterwort. And those are the ones that apparently can be found growing naturally in freaking New Jersey. I thought that was... I don't think carnivorous plants, but apparently the Pine Barrens, again, hostile environment. It It's just insane. So in other words, you have to be pretty hardy to live in the Pine Barrens. That apparently also goes for the people as well. Even though it is sparsely populated, people take a great deal of pride in coming from the Pine Barrens. These people are referred to a lot as pineys. Now, before you go around using that, or before I get emails, very ignorant here, I have read in some places that it can be a derogatory term, so I apologize in advance, 
because some of the eyewitness accounts later use the term. A lot of people seem to wear it as a badge of honor kind of thing. So, I'm throwing it out there. I feel like, from what I was reading, it's almost it's almost like an Appalachian vibe. So, maybe I won't use Pineys later. The Pine Lands, those kind of things. Tea break. All right. One story that is very popular among the people of the Pine Lands, another term, is the story of John Bacon. He was a loyalist guerrilla who massacred 19 men in the Continental Army in their sleep and was then captured in the Pine Barrens in what is considered the last battle of the Revolutionary War. He was captured in the Cedar Bridge Tavern, which is believed to be the oldest intact bar in the United States. I thought that was interesting. I don't know if that's factual, but I'm going with it. That's what all the articles said. This story I found on almost every website I read about the Pine Barrens. I think because it's such a horrific story and a little claim to fame, you know? But, like, literally, this story came up everywhere. Now, John Bacon, surprisingly, doesn't haunt the Cedar Bridge Tavern or anywhere in the Pine Barrens, in fact. It's just a really a gruesome story. But, man, the websites love the story. That being said, the tavern is said to be haunted by the spirit of John Wildermuth. Myth. Muth. Muth. A former owner of the tavern who is reported to enjoy opening and closing doors. The Pine Barrens were originally inhabited by the indigenous people of the Lenny Lenape tribe. White settlers that had moved into the area discovered pretty quickly that the ground was not suitable for farming and the area switched from agriculture to industry. Dutch and Swedish colonizers moved to the area to use the cedar and oak for shipbuilding. When the first iron furnace was opened, the area became instrumental in producing munitions Man, I am having such a hard time talking. I am so sorry, you guys. Anyways, in producing munitions during the War of 1812, fighting off the Barbary pirates and for the American Revolution. But by 1869, the iron industry in the Pine Barrens had basically disappeared. And the once bustling towns there fell into decay. The forest soon began to reclaim the land. Some of the abandoned villages are little more than mounds of earth, while others are brick and stone remnants of the mills that made iron, paper, and terracotta. Glass was also a big industry, and you can just find piles of shards of broken glass out in the forest randomly. 
like I was looking at all these pictures of things that people found out there. It's just piles of glass right here. In later years, the Pine Barrens have become known as a body dumping ground for the Mafia, which is how I knew it. Surprisingly, none of today's stories have anything to do with Mafia victim ghosts. I actually expected some, but there are just so many others. <laughs> a lot of these don't have much reference or backstory to them, but I still feel like they are worthy of mention real quick to give a general vibe of the place. Like the ghost of James Still. Still was an African-American doctor during the time of slavery. It is said that he is the brother of William Still, the man who wrote the book The Underground Railroad. Legend says that he was lynched when locals found that he was practicing medicine. Some say he died of natural causes. But most believe he is a friendly ghost, assisting those lost or injured in the area. His ghost is said to roam the area, assisting travelers who are injured or stranded in the vast forest. So he's a very nice ghost. Other ghosts include a blonde woman, a black dog, the headless spirit of the infamous pirate Captain Kidd, and a white stag that warns travelers of impending doom. You know, I love me a good white stag story, so I had to go look it up. According to legend, a group of Quakers who, on a stormy night in 1809, nearly fell into the Batso, Batsisto River simply because they couldn't see it. The white stag appeared to them, and the Quakers turned around, later discovering they were saved from drowning. Of course, with the milling industry being incredibly dangerous, many spirits of maimed workers linger on as well. And the ones coming up are just a few of the most documented ones with eyewitness accounts that I found. The ghost of a small boy is said to haunt the Atco area off of Burnt Mill Road, a road that was never finished. It branches off a road that connects with RT30. This road runs about two miles before it ends in the Pine Barrens. As the story goes, it was Christmas night and a boy was out playing with the basketball he got as a present when a drunk driver came speeding down the dead-end street. He hit the boy and decided to run, only to come to the end of the road. The driver was then forced to do a U-turn and drive back, passing by the body of the boy he had just killed. The boy, the poor victim of a hit-and-run, is said to roam the street, sometimes seen playing ball 
other times appearing to be searching for his killer. If you drive down the road at night and turn off your lights, you may just see a boy running for his ball. Here are a few eyewitness testimonies on the Weird New Jersey website. You drive down the street and head straight towards the end of the road. When you reach the end, do a U-turn and pull your car up to the part of the street where there's a crack through the asphalt from one side of the street to the other. Stop here and beep your horn three times and flash your lights three times. Then sit in darkness for a bit. You will see the figure of a boy begin to cross the street, dribbling a basketball, almost in slow motion. Anthony Dooley the most common way to see the ghost is to drive this haunted road in the middle of the night, park on one side, kill the engines, kill the lights, and get out of the car. You then walk away from the spot where the ghost appears, and after 20 feet, turn around. You will then see the spectral form of a little boy walking towards you. Manning L. Cruel. Ghost boy searches for th those who killed him. I used to row for my college cruise team in South Jersey. On one practice, another teammate told me this tale. He was describing a ghost he saw in Atco. He said that the ghost was the victim of a hit-and-run on Burnt, Burnt Mill Road. And if you park at the end of the road with the engine and lights off, the ghost would appear and look the car over to see if it's the same one that killed him. Scott Kavarsky This story comes again from the Weird New Jersey site and is written by Scott Wegsork. I'm really sorry about that. Who I believe is one of the men who actually started the website. And I think I've seen him on numerous TV shows talking about different paranormal things. He seems like a really cool guy. This is what he writes about the Brooks Bray Brick Factory. This is a bit of a rough one with some child SA in it. So listen at your own risk. So. The New Jersey Pine Barrens can be a frightful can be frightful at night, whether from their eerie darkness and solitude or from the disembodied souls said to be haunting them. Rising from the 
desolate forest floor in a place called Pasadena are the ruins of the failed Brooks Bray Brick Company factory, also known as the Pasadena Terracotta Ruin. It was the scene of two mysterious and tragic deaths. According to local legend, the ruins are cursed and haunted by the ghost of those claimed by the fire. Two spectral forms can be found at the scene of their demise, unaware of their passing from an earthly existence. During my research at the factory, I happened to uncover this amazing legend, little legend. I was no stranger to the ruined factory, and so my interest was piqued regarding the fidelity of a haunting at Pasadena. My research found that indeed two individuals had perished at the factory, but it also revealed a bit of a mystery. Another part of the legend claimed the two were actually victims of robbery and murder at the hands of some drifter and that the fire was set to cover the crimes. I decided a deeper investigation of the matter was warranted. What I found was that the tragedy took place in 1915 and that the victims were named Jonas and Catherine. They were Polish immigrants who were staying in the house owned by the Brooks Bray Company. The factory had been inactive for several years and Jonas was hired as a factory caretaker. However, he did not always stay in Pasadena, but at his home in Philadelphia. The couple moved out to Pasadena in, late, in the late summer of 1915 in order to safeguard the factory against vandalism and foul play. Several days before they arrived, there was a strike involving a number of immigrant railway workers. The factory had been the staging ground for a group of strikers to collect and impede the commerce along an adjacent branch of the New Jersey Central Railroad. However, due to the prejudices of the time, the Italian immigrants were disliked and feared by the locals. Railroad management had tried unsuccessfully to resolve the situation through arbitration and so the owners of the Brooksbury factory sent Jonas. That particular night, however, was uncharacteristically bitterly cold. The couple in their mid-sixties set a fire in their stove and headed to bed. However, they never woke up. During the night, the house burned to the ground. The charred ruins were found the next morning when workers arriving to work at the nearby Cranberry Bog noticed a plume of smoke rising into the sky. They sent for immediate help, but all that could be saved was the foundation. A newspaper article from the New Jersey Courier dated September 17, 1917 
gives two angles on the fire. The first was the verdict given by the state trooper, who was the first on the scene, who declared the fire accidentally caused by a clogged flue or chimney. The locals, however, never accepted this as the cause. Instead, they blamed the tragedy on the immigrant railroad workers and allegations flew regarding foul play and robbery on part of some nefarious strikers. It was believed that Jonas and Catherine possessed a good quantity of money, and since the money was never found during the initial police investigation, it was surmised that they were robbed, murdered, and burned to cover the crime. The police, after a second investigation, insisted that the fire was accidental and held to their interpretation of a clogged flue or chimney. Accidental fire may have been the official report, but the locals still able to have their final say. They maintain their tale of foul play, which was eventually recorded by New Jersey folklorist Henry Beck in his book, Forgotten Towns of Southern New Jersey. Later, another New Jersey folklorist, William McManon, continues this oral tradition in his book, Pine Barrens Legends, Lore and Lies, and added new stories of the ghost encounters to the factory. So what really happened that night in 1915? No one will ever really know. The official death certificates on file at the Ocean County Surrogate's office hold to asphyxiation as the cause of death. But the locals are firm in their belief of murder and robbery. So the mystery goes and probably will remain unsolved. Perhaps the answer is somewhere out there. Perhaps the truth simply died with Jonas and Catherine. Perhaps their ghosts hold the key to, the un to unlock the mystery. Whatever the case, it is an intriguing ghostly mystery in New Jersey's past. And this next story is the one with the child SA. So skip ahead a few minutes if you need to. Foul play at Brookspray. It had been in operation only briefly before the death of the owner created a complicated legal situation which left the plant idle. Years went by and then on October 16, 1917, things went horribly wrong. An Austrian immigrant named Gildo Palazzano was serving as watchman for the facility. He had befriended 12-year-old Hannah Chatton, who lived with her parents nearby. 
and she had gone to his simple cabin that morning to help him paper the walls. Later, Hannah's father and brother saw flames coming from the cabin and rushed there, only to observe the bodies of Hannah and Pozzino laying together on a cot in the midst of a fire. According to contemporary newspaper accounts, the police supposition is that the man attacked the child and then realizing the enormity of his crime had killed her, set fire to the shack, and then committed suicide. The fire spread to the factory, quickly destroying it. The local coroner, who was himself charged with murdering his wife in 1905, was not able to determine the cause of death and exactly what happened that faithful morning will never be determined. Rick F. From the Weird New Jersey site. The White Horse Inn has served many purposes over the years, but it was left to vandalism and decay for a little while, until a group of community members dedicated themselves to restoring it. And, with any good renovation project, paranormal experiences started happening soon thereafter. The Committee of Chatsworth, the committee that organizes the annual Chatsworth Cranberry Festival, which sounds freaking adorable, which happens every year in October to celebrate the local cranberry farmers, have claimed to, as a group, have heard a small child laughing in the building, even though no child was present. Other weird things have happened, like once the window at the top of the building was dislodged. Just the window. Dislodged. And no one can explain how. I thought that was weird, because to me, you could look at it and be like, oh, decaying building, something fell out, or, you know, teenagers... No, they couldn't explain it. Just out. Probably the most cited story with the White Horse Inn is that of a police officer alone in the building heard footsteps, even though the building's alarm system was never set off. He refuses to ever return. I always like the stories where police or firefighters or EMTs experience something and they just, you know, nope out of the situation. An hour and a half drive down a desolate dirt road in the Pine Barrens will lead you to a somewhat random feeling monument 
The monument is for Emilio Carnanza, a Mexican aviator who flew around the world championing peace. Carnanza was about to begin a tour from New York City to Mexico City, stopping at American cities along the way, but a fierce storm delayed his voyage. A commanding Air Force officer messaged him that if he didn't begin the journey immediately, his manhood would be in question. Toxic masculinity at its finest. While looking for a place to land in the storm with only a flashlight to guide him, poor Emilio crashed in the Pine Barrens and died. Legend holds that if you if you flash your car lights at the statue, you will hear the plane and see Emilio's flashlight searching for a place to land. According to a story on Weird New Jersey, as the local lore goes, if you park your car at the gate, flash your headlights on the memorial three times and yell, Emilio, out the window, you will see his plane. Of course, we had to try it. We followed the instructions, and about 10 minutes later, my friend's car stalled for no reason. We threw it in drive and began rolling out of there. She kept asking us what the lights were behind us. My other friend and I turned around and saw nothing. She swore she saw lights in the rear view mirror. We figured she was just trying to scare us, but suddenly we saw them too. We were too high. They were too high to be car lights and too low to be a plane. Needless to say, she dropped the hammer and we got out of there as fast as possible. Loco Kitty. Even though these stories are creepy and spooky, definitely are, they don't hold a candle to the next resident of the Pine Barrens in the amount of sightings, history, and let's be honest, downright terrifying origin story. The one and only known by numerous names throughout history like the Phantom of the Pines, the Jabberwocky, which I thought was fun. Of course, we're going to go into the Jersey Devil. The New Jersey Devil is probably the most famous paranormal Pine Barrens resident. Let's be honest, he might be the most famous, period. I could easily do a whole podcast on the Jersey Devil itself. Probably a series. So I'm going to try to keep it brief and give the most famous stories and some eyewitness accounts because he's still being seen today. Now, I know I said brief. We are quite literally 
on page 7 of 14 for the podcast notes. We're literally only halfway through, and I still feel like I could do more. To give you an idea. Anyways. Legend says, when Deborah Leeds found out she was pregnant with her 13th child, she became distraught. Her husband was a drunkard who made few efforts to provide for his wife and 12 children. Life in the Pine Barrens wasn't exactly easy in any way, shape, or form, like we were talking about earlier. She reached the point of absolute exasperation upon learning of this new pregnancy. She raised her hands to the heavens and shouted, let this one be a devil. Some stories say that Mother Leeds was a witch and the child's father was the devil himself, but that's not the legend we're going with on this one. Mother Leeds went into labor a few months later in 1735 on a very stormy night. Her children and husband huddled together in one room of their Leeds Point home while local midwives gathered to deliver the baby in another. By all accounts, the birth went routinely and the 13th Leeds child was seemingly a healthy, normal baby boy. Within minutes, however, the baby started to change and morph right before her eyes and the eyes of the midwives. Within minutes, it transformed from a beautiful newborn baby into a hideous creature unlike anything the world had ever seen. The wailing infant began growing at an incredible rate. It sprouted horns from the top of its head and had become horse-like, like its head grew in length. Talon-like claws tore through the tips of its fingers and hooves formed on its feet. It grew a forked tail, leathery bat wings unflurled from its back and hair and feathers sprouted all over the child's body. Its eyes began glowing a bright red as they grew larger in the monster's gnarled and snarling face. The creature savagely attacked its own mother, killing her, then turned its attention to the rest of the horrified onlookers who witnessed its tumultuous transformation. It flew at them, clawing and biting, screaming this blood-curdling scream. It tore the midwives limb from limb, maiming some and killing others. The monster then knocked down the door to the next room where its fathers and siblings cowered in fear and attacked all of them, killing as many as it could. Those who survived to tell the tale then watched in horror as the rotten beast sprinted to the chimney and flew up it, destroying it on the way and leaving a pile of rubble in its wake. 
The creature then made its escape into the darkness and desolation of the Pine Barrens, where it has lived ever since. To this day, the creature, knowingly, known varyingly as the Leeds Devil and the New Jersey Devil, claims the pines as its own and terrorizes anyone who is unfortunate enough to encounter it. Now, this is a pretty amazing story. You can literally picture every bit of this story like something out of a horror movie. Let's be honest, you probably have heard this story numerous times. Each story has a little bit of a difference here and there, but for the most part, it's the same story. And the thing is, there are some aspects to this story that are true. Leeds is the name of one of New Jersey's earliest settlers, and many descendants of the Leeds family can still be found throughout New Jersey to this day. In fact, you can find these particular leads on Ancestry. Like, you can find Deborah, the mom. Like, real-life mother leads and her 13 children. Completely serious. The last child is listed as Jersey Devil leads, though listed as a daughter. Now, gender is a construct so we aren't going to focus on that part too much. But the important part is that Mother Leeds is a real person. And her life is very well documented, actually. The other fascinating part is that many New Jersey residents have spotted the Leeds devil over the centuries since its birth. Remember, 1753. My state wasn't even a state yet, for God's sakes. Like, and there was Jersey Devil sightings. The Jersey Devil has been spotted throughout the Pine Barrens region, frightening local residents and many of those brave enough to go into the dark forest and swampy bogs. Making the screams... The screams are the big thing and the most reported type of encounter of the Jersey Devil. There have been domesticated animals found slaughtered in these areas attributed to the Phantom of the Pines. Over the years, the legend of the Leeds Devil grew, occasionally even overstepping the boundaries of its rural pine barrens to haunt and terrorize local towns and cities and these stories again are very well documented and continue to this day it's absolutely fascinating one of the most famous historical sightings of the jersey devil which i don't know how i didn't put this together at the time was that of joseph Bonaparte, the older brother of Napoleon. You know, that guy. Uh, he was who, after his younger brother made him king of Spain, 
he sort of kind of lost Spain. And when he was unsuccessful in defending Spain against England, the Peninsular Wars, he was forced to abdicate his throne in 1813. Following Napoleon's defeat, he went into exile in America. Joseph purchased 800 acres at Bordertown, New Jersey, because it was between the two great seaports of New York and Philadelphia. From this place, he could obtain the latest news from France and Spain. Joseph built himself a lovely mansion with beautiful landscaped grounds, plenty of parkland. He entertained many of the great men of his day, including John Adams and the Marquis of Lafayette. And Daniel Webster, he led a very glamorous social life, throwing marvelous parties with mountains of food and many guests. The Americans were very impressed. He was pretty content living with all of his riches, fabulous paintings, and a library. He had this huge library. Just out in the Pine Barrens. Apparently, he was a pretty awesome guy, too. I remember most people in the Pine Barrens were fairly poor, especially at this time. Didn't really have much. And Bonaparte basically opened his home to anyone. Like, people would just come over randomly and read in his library. There was even a story of a fire breaking out in his mansion, and all the townspeople rushed in and helped him save his home and property, especially the books and paintings. And one of the big things that everybody made a big uh, deal out of was that not one thing went missing. I, I thought that was cool even though it has a little bit of a dig at the t pine people there. But it's cool. Anyway, he claimed to have witnessed the Jersey Devil on his Bordenton, Bordentown estate. One snowy afternoon, the ex-king of Spain was hunting alone in the woods near his house, when he spotted some strange tracks on the ground. They looked like the tracks of a two-footed donkey. Bonaparte noticed that one foot was slightly larger than the other. The tracks ended abruptly as if the creature had flown away. He stared at the tracks for a moment, trying to figure out what the strange animal might be. At that moment, Bonaparte heard a strange hissing noise. Turning, he found himself face to face with a large winged creature with a horse-like head and bird-like legs. Astonished and frightened, he froze and stared at the beast, forgetting he was carrying a rifle. For a moment, neither of them moved. Then the creature hissed at him, beat its wings, and flew away. When he reported the incident to a friend later that day, Bonaparte was told that he had seen the famous Jersey Devil. 
who had haunted the Pine Barrens since his birth, that big stormy night in 1735. Bonaparte was impressed by the story of the Jersey Devil and thereafter kept a lookout for the fabulous creature whenever he was hunting. So just imagine this rich guy who was literally king of Spain at one point. Your brother is out taking over the world until everything falls apart. You move to the middle of nowhere to get away from everything. And you run into this creature that you've never heard of. And the fact that you went into your friends and were like, hey, I saw this weird thing. They went, oh, yeah, we know that guy. It's the Jersey Devil. Just imagine how weird and like culture shocky that is. I think it's bad. Just absolutely fabulous. So anyways, once things settled down in Europe, Joseph Bonaparte eventually returned to Europe and was reunited with his wife, who was in Italy. Just, I don't, I don't know the history there. While he was still in New Jersey, he never saw the Jersey Devil again, but always kept a lookout. Another famous case is what has been referred to as the cannonball story. Or maybe that's just what I'm calling it. I'm going to assume it, it's a thing. Anyways, according to legend, while visiting the Hanover Mill Works to inspect his cannonballs being forged, Commodore Stephen Decatur sighted a flying creature flapping its wings. Not sure of what he was seeing, he decided to fire a cannonball directly upon it. Not my first impulse, but sure, okay. It had no effect. Some stories say the cannonball went straight through the beast. With no effect. And the creature just simply flew away. But he wrote about this in letters and there it's it's published. And more documented instances occurred. Probably the most infamous of these instances occurred during the week of January 16th through the 23rd, 1909. A week! Early in the week, reports started emerging from all across the Delaware Valley that strange tracks were being seen in the snow. The mysterious footprints went over and under fences, through fields and backyards, and across rooftops and houses. They were even being reported in large cities of Candom and Philadelphia. Panic began to immediately spread, and posses were formed in more than one town. Fear and intrigue grew even greater when it was reported that bloodhounds refused to follow the unidentified creature's trail in Hampton. Schools closed 
or suffered low attendance throughout lower New Jersey and in Philadelphia. Mills in the Pine Barrens were forced to close while workers refused to leave their homes and travel through the woods to get to their jobs. Eyewitnesses spotted the beast in Camden and in Bristol, Pennsylvania, and in both cities, police fired on it, but did not manage to bring it down. A few days later, it reappeared in Camden, attacking a late-night meeting of a social club, then flying away. Earlier that day, it had been it had appeared in Handen Heights, terrorizing a trolley car full of passengers before flying away. Witnesses claimed that it looked like a large flying kangaroo. Another trolley car full of people saw it in Burlington when it scurried across the tracks in front of their car. In West Collingswood, it appeared on the roof of a house and was described as an ostrich-like creature. Firemen turned their hoses upon it, but it attacked them and then flew away. The entire week, people reported that their livestock, particularly chickens, were being slaughtered. This was the most widespread in the towns of Bridgerton and Millville. So just a man, imagine the panic that is happening. This is a whole week of sightings and they're big sightings with numerous people seeing this thing together at one time. And then like later that day, they see it again, a large group of people. That's so rare. The beast reappeared later in the week in Camden, where a local woman found the beast attempting to eat her dog. She hit it with a broomstick and it flew away. During the same year, the merchants around Camden offered a $10,000 reward for the capture of the Jersey Devil, even offering to build a private zoo to house the creature if captured. This surge of sightings was never repeated. Well, at least not yet. But sightings have continued through history. In 1840, the devil was blamed for several livestock killings. Similar attacks were reported in 1841 accompanied by tracks and screams. All of those screams. Claims of a corpse, another corpse, matching the Leeds Devil's description, arose in Greenwich in December 1925. A local farmer shot an unidentified animal as it attempted to steal his chickens. Afterward, he claimed that the none of the hundred people he showed it to could identify it. On July 27, 1937, an unknown animal with red eyes seen by residents of Dowington, Pennsylvania, was compared to the Jersey Devil by a reporter from the Pennsylvanian 
Pennsylvania Bulletin. In 1951, a group of Gibstontown, New Jersey boys claimed to have seen a monster matching the devil's description and claims of a corpse matching the New Jersey devil's description arose in 1957. In 1960, tracks and noises were heard near May's Landing were claimed to be from the Jersey Devil. So, there, and there's so much, so much, just, I just rattled off some. There are books written on the sightings of the Jersey Devil. It's there's so much. <laughs> um, one of its frequent locations to be seen is known as the Blue Hole, which is said to be a bottomless, bottomless lake where he likes to apparently drag unsuspecting bathers into the depths and drown them. The area was once accessible by a bridge that was washed away in the 1960s, though it could very well be the Jersey Devil pulling swimmers to their untimely demise in the Blue Hole, randomly appearing whirlpools, or locally, whirlypools, or sugar sand, they we talked about earlier, may be another culprit. That sugar sand, perfect texture, for quicksand. So, randomly appearing whirlypools or quicksand is also terrifying. So that works. Numerous sightings of the New Jersey Devil have been reported to this day. The tale of the Devil has spread beyond the Pine Barrens and has been embraced by all of New Jersey. The Jersey Devil is portrayed in toys, on t-shirts, and even is the subject of his own feature film. There's actually quite a bit of different little films. Um, I think it was last podcast on the left. They had this really like folksy song and ballad that someone wrote had to be in like the 50s, 60s. That sounds like a bad acid trip about the Jersey Devil for a movie about him. I don't think it's the same movie we're talking about here. I think that's a new one. So there's numerous things. Probably, most famously, the Devil has lent his name to the New Jersey NHL hockey team. There are still many, however, who believe that the Jersey Devil is a very real, very dangerous creature. There have been a constant stream of reports over the years of devil encounters. Most often, people report finding strange, unidentifiable tracks in the sandy soil in desolate areas of the Pine Barrens. Some reports claim that they are the footprints of a strange bird. Others say that they closely resemble hoof prints. Although, 
whatever it is, walks on just two legs. There have even been a substantial amount of reports that describe the tracks as being cloven, you know, like a goat or Satan. While less frequent, there are still occasional reports of people who see more than just tracks and catch a glimpse of the devil himself. He is most commonly described as having the body of a kangaroo, the head of a dog, and the face of a horse, large leathery wings, antlers similar to those of a devil sometimes, and a forked reptilian tail and intimidating claws. But probably the most reported are the blood-curdling screams that could be heard echoing throughout the Pine Barrens. And now I have a couple more eyewitness accounts for you from the Weird New Jersey website. Field Trips to the Jersey Devil's Turf. As a native of Camp May County, I've had the typical rite of passage trip to the Pine Barren, the legendary home of the Jersey Devil. This Jersey girl went to Cape May County Technical High School, which sponsored trips to the Pine Barrens for good grades in certain classes. I was one of the fortunate students to go three times during my four-year career at CMCT. Each time I went on this trip, my canoe was followed by a heavy-footed thing, quote-unquote, with each step, I heard a branch's snap under its feet. Whoops, question mark. Every 10 minutes or so, I could hear deep, beastly growls that to this very day give me the creeps. Being in the canoe and on a class trip didn't afford me much opportunity to flee in terror. So I stuck it out for three years. Every year, it was the same. During my sophomore year, I was pretty confident about my canoeing skills, so I didn't look over my shoulder much. I went canoeing with a friend of mine when I came across a bag that had been torn open and gone through. Around it were prints on the ground that looked something like a horse's hoof, only bigger. Then I heard it. The cry that still haunts my dreams. Part human, part beast, and full of anger. Pregnant with pure hate. I nearly flipped the canoe. We left, leaving whatever it was out there behind, or so I thought. It seemed to follow us. Every time we stopped or paused, it got closer to the river. We pushed on. Then worse came to worse as we tipped the canoe. I heard the thing running behind us and thought for sure we were dead. Then we righted our canoe and got into it as fast as humanly possible. 
We finally made it out to safety, sun fried to a crisp, meeting, missing all of our valuables and most of our clothing, but never happier to be on shore. We packed up our bus and left. As we were leaving, I rested my head on the window and saw a little cottage. I looked at it until the bus was about to pass it and I saw a woman. She looked back at me and I could see her skin was torn and bleeding. After the bus passed, she vanished. Scared me so badly I wouldn't go into the woods for a year. Kelly. The Jersey Devil makes headlines. According to the Ashbury Park Press of October 1988, a man who lived in Howell Township encountered the devil in 1981. He described the creature as having a furry body, huge feet with three toes on each one, large teeth, and stood about six feet tall. Alan McFarlane, chief ranger of the Wharton State Forest for over 20 years, relates a story that happened in 1980. He had gone to a farmer's house near Jenkins, where he came upon four pigs that were laying dead close to their pen. The back of their heads had been eaten out and there were scratches all over their bodies. There were no tracks or blood on the ground. The ranger had no explanation of what had happened. Camping with the Jersey Devil. In the late 1980s, a couple of friends and I took a trip, a camping trip to the Pine Barrens. I was unaware that we were headed to the home of the Jersey Devil. We headed out on our bikes and did our share of partying that night. The next day, while everyone was asleep, three of us decided to hit the trails a bit earlier than usual. We were about 100 yards away in the woods when my bike stalled out. I looked and found that my friends had stalled out also. At first, I thought it had something to do with the terrain or maybe something to do with the nearby power plants. 50 feet away from each other, we tried to start up our bikes. Then suddenly from the woods, we heard the most horrible piercing scream. It sounded inhuman, like something being tortured. Once back at camp, they asked us if we had heard screams earlier. They had heard them too, four miles away. That night, we headed into the local town because we ran out of booze. We went into a bar and ordered a drink, still in shock from what we had heard that morning. The bartender asked, hey kid, would you see a ghost or something? After I told him the story, he smiled and said, it looks like you met our little friend. He then asked us to come out back. He showed us a tin garbage can that was shredded to bits. 
It looked like the shreds were made of something with three claws. I have never returned to the Pine Barrens since, and I do not plan to go back. Frank T. So, what you heard there were bobcat noises. One of the most common explanation for some of those blood-curling screams you heard. But, I don't know. I searched and searched for freaking New Jersey devil sighting screams. And I could not find anything. I found, surprisingly, quite a bit of good music about the Jersey Devil, which I added into the My Haunted Life podcast Spotify playlist that I have, if you're interested. Some some nice bluesy shit. I even found a song by freaking Bruce Springsteen about the Jersey Devil. That surprised me. But yeah. After the credits today, stay tuned to hear another theory about the Jersey Devil. Ironically, having a part to do with music as well. Don't worry, it makes up for the bobcat noises. There were so many other ghost stories of the Pine Barrens that didn't make it into this episode. And so much of the history of the Jersey Devil that I quite honestly, barely touched on. I wanted to focus on what would be good to listen to around a campfire. I feel like this isn't the last podcast that the Jersey Devil will be on. I would love to go into the Pine Barrens searching for him. I have seen some investigations for him go Blair Witch real quick. And honestly, I'm all about that. Probably nowhere near the blue hole. I'm a pretty good swimmer, but not good enough to survive whirly pools, sugar sand, and a monster dragging me to the depths to die. Drowning's not my thing. Been there, done that. When you go into the Pine Barrens, Keep an eye out for one of the numerous spiritual denizens that inhabit the boggy forest. Listen for the screams of the Jersey Devil. And you never know, you might just get a glimpse of the beast yourself. Thank you to everyone out there listening today. My Haunted Life podcast is written, researched, produced, edited, and hosted by me, Angela Hartshorn. If you are interested in more pictures, info, and my sources for this week's episode, make sure to check out the website, 
myhauntedlifepodcast.com for everything. Check out the Patreon page, your one-stop shop for everything My Haunted Life, where you can support the show for $2 a month. That's it. I mean, you can do it for free, too. I think that's how I have it set up. I don't remember. If you have information about today's episode or a sighting of, say, the Jersey Devil, I would love to hear it. Or, you know, a ghost story in general. Email me at myhauntedlifepodcast at gmail.com. Or you can write me on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok, all at myhauntedlifepodcast. And while you're there, please like and follow and comment. It honestly makes my day. Music is by Ghost Stories Incorporated. And that's it for this show. What? what? I'm so excited to be back. You have no idea. I will see you all next week on my Haunted Life podcast. And until then, stay spooky. And the other two guys, they hear the screech in the woods, and they eye-tailing out of there. But they never found the third guy. Because you know who got him? The Jersey Jersey Devil. Hey, Mr. Rinaldi, guess what? What? I don't believe the Jersey Devil is even real. All righty then. I guess it's not my fault if he comes and eats ya. Okay, well, if he's so real, then what does he look like? He's got dragon weight and a half gold horse face with a chin strap beard like an Amish. And he's got hooves and horns and two low-hanging balls and with a button cock on top. Fantastic. And he creeps through the pine barrens looking for little kids who don't believe in him. And he goes, Ah. Uh, everyone all right? I gotta fix the safety on that one, huh? No, the Jersey Devil is not real. It is just a myth that vampires made up to explain all the dead bodies that we live in the woods. Sean may be my best friend, but like all humans, he doesn't realize when he's been fucking had. Okay, let's play printer, got danger, let you call. Right. Very shame. Yeah. I think we get there. Oh, yeah, that's in the deep. You can't go in down. Oh, shit. Hey, Siri, play some New Jersey music. Your hands off my hair. This is the one I want to be doing. Grab his balls, man. I've got the home. I've got the lady. Well, I'm going to be cut off. Fucking hell. Oh, there's a tree. Yeah, it's a tree. There was a good heart. It was a good pilot. Wondering how to hear. Get a laugh out, Wingbird, dear God. See what's going on. Hello, get this pot.